You're about to have your mind blown. If this is the first time you've tuned into this show, hey, well done you. And if not, this is uh, your reward then for keeping listening to this show. Uh, a bit of origin story before we get underway. Um, this week's this yeah this week's episode came together um, partly inspired by a book that I read a little while ago called Chasing the Scream, uh, and it's a book about the drug war how we combat drugs in our society, the criminal proceedings that we use, and all those sorts of things. Uh, And what it showed me, independent of what you might think about what we should legalize and blah, 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 I'm not getting into that uh, for now, might do it another time. Um, But what it really showed me was that I don't understand addiction. Uh, I have never experienced drug or alcohol addiction personally. Everything that I know about it, I know secondhand, and a lot of it affected by what I've seen in the media, and I don't mean just the news, uh, entertainment media. And of course, we say that you shouldn't believe everything you see on television, but of course, if you get a certain picture about something for a long period of time, it's natural that that becomes your assumption about it. That is a long-winded way of saying that Simon Cornwall, the guy that I'm speaking to this week, knows addiction firsthand. Uh, he has, uh, he is a recovered addict. Uh, He now works with addicts through an organization that he started called Recovery First. And so I thought, this is a guy that I need to talk to. And so what happened over the next uh, hour or so was a pretty free-form conversation. Now, something that's a little bit different with this week. First of all, apologies about the first about half hour or so. There was some weird thing going on with the audio. So there's a little bit of this hum underneath. Um, But I get it sorted by the second half. So that's good news. Um, Also, too, I said to Cy that I would um, break every now and then as he needed to. Just to uh, Obviously, when you're talking about drugs and alcohol, this affects people, people's lives. And so if there was ever a point where um, we just needed to make sure that, you know, we kept things appropriate, um, respectful of those that he's worked with and their experiences and that sort of thing, um, I gave him free reign to do that. So whenever I pop up in this thing uh, or you hear a bit of a a rough kind of a cut, that's actually what happened. But I don't like to edit these too heavily. It, It, to me, erodes away the naturalness of the conversation. And that's more what I'm trying to achieve with this kind of podcast too, by the way. So uh, now you know all the backstory, you're about to hear something incredible. Um, An amazingly eye-opening perspective from somebody who has faced addiction himself and now has devoted his time to helping addicts recover and become functional members of our society. So uh, to begin with, I just wanted to go straight out there and say, all right, let's learn about addiction, Cy. So this is how we started. Addicts and addiction, well, it's a... um there's one thing I can tell you for a start is that it's not a moral issue. A lot of people think that, you know, it's about breaking some sort of moral code. But unfortunately, what what addiction is, is it's something that somebody does and they can't stop. Right. They can't stop. You know, that's that's the dilemma of an addict is the fact that they might want to stop. It's like, I don't know, I suppose it's like wanting to go to the gym you make up your mind you say I'm going to the gym I'm going to work out and I'm going to have big muscles day one you go to the gym and you do it and it feels good so you keep doing it and you set yourself some goals and you work towards those goals fortunately with addiction it's just not like that and you know there's two trains of thought on it some people think that you're born with it mm-hmm. other people think that you grow into it yeah but the point of the matter is is that for an addict he might get to a point where he needs to change. And, and this is normally what happens is that he runs up against society. Mm. He ends up breaking rules and becomes a misfit in society. So, you know, he might look at, you know, he's got mum telling him, he's got his mother-in-law, he's got his wife, he's got his brother, he's got his workmates, he's got his boss, he's got everybody telling him he needs to change. Yeah. So he decides, well, maybe I'll look at it, maybe I will change. And, and I think this is the thing with the guys that I've, you know, met and the people I've met, you know, in the jails and just on that, you know, 80% of the jails are full um, of people who were under the influence of either drugs or alcohol when they committed their crime. Right. And the bottom line is, is that they can't stop. You know, they... they... I'm going to jump in on that because I think for the devil's advocate role that I'll play on this one as well, for people who are listening to this, right? We hear these stories about addicts and we go, well, they just, they just need to stop it. They just need to try harder. Um, and... If they've ended up addicts, it's their own fault. So how do you approach somebody like that then? What's your understanding of addiction then when dealing with that kind of mindset? So addiction really is a mental obsession coupled with a physical addiction. Okay. And that that's it in a nutshell. So you've got somebody that, as I say, sees that maybe they've got a problem, society's telling them they've got a problem, and somebody's saying, stop it. 
Right. So the addict tries to stop it. And he can exert as much will as he likes to his addiction mm. and it won't work. But maybe he's just a low willpower individual, Simon. Maybe ah. he just needs to pull himself up by his bootstraps, right? And that's the exact type of thinking that makes it worse for an addict. And that when he's got society, he's got people saying that sort of thing to him. And it's not about being, you know, hear me right. They need to be accountable. Yeah. When an addict breaks the law, he needs to be accountable. He or she needs to be accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, you know, slapping them with a wet bus ticket. All of us in society, no matter what our problem is, if we break the law, we need to be accountable. Yeah. But when something behind that is perhaps making us break the law, because you'll find a lot of addicts aren't actually criminals, mm. but they result to criminal activity to support their habit. Sure. So you've got somebody, so this is the thing, so they, they get to a point where they're trying their hardest. Mm. Now this is something I'll say to you, and this will either make sense or it, it won't. There'll come a time and a place where an addict has no mental defense against the first use hmm. no mental defense against the first use now how what does that mean? well how frightening would that be yeah and i'm just trying to think of a context that i could put that into you so you you wouldn't do say you would never hurt your mother right now that's a moral code that you would have you would never hurt your mother hmm. and then i would be telling you there'll come a time and a place where you'll hurt your mother right now, how, how soul-destroying would that be? Right. Was that you would have, no matter how much will you exerted over not wanting to hurt your mother, yeah. there'd come a time and a place where you would hurt your mother. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I struggle to know what to do but, with that. M- mind-boggling. It's yeah. mind-boggling. And then that's the dilemma of an alcoholic or an addict, is the fact that they can make up as much will as they want yeah. to not do something, and yet they'll still end up doing it. And that's why addicts will go so low. And, you know, you'd think that when somebody, you know, they lose their job or Mm. their wife walks away, Mm. that, you know, they would be accountable enough to to change. Mm. But it's not about that. They actually have to, and this is the key, they actually have to admit that they're powerless over their addiction. That runs countercultural to almost every self-development, air quotes, Uh, self-development kind of paradigm that I've ever heard. And that's exactly why none of those self-help things work (laughs) (laughs) for for, for an addict. Yeah, all right. um, Tell me more. And it's the thing is, because the more will that you exert with an addiction, the less chance it has of working. Hmm. And as I say, that's as I say, it runs against everything because you know that's how training and everything works. Is that you know you apply a bit of will, you do more, you do more study, you do more, 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 mm. and that. But for the addict, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. The more self will they exert, and this is can be held typically is that a lot of addicts will become a workaholic. Is uh, that they just swap an addiction for something else? Because they're quite capable of exerting. They're brilliant people, smart people. Right they can exert will and they will stop actually i want to talk on that just for a moment too that idea of addicts being intelligent people that is again like if i think of i guess i want to speak to when i hear about addiction when it when drugs and alcohol addiction is um, communicated via media uh the picture that a lot of people have is of you know low-income people who just aren't that bright and got sucked into this kind of stuff because oh well you know um so that that whole concept is wrong too true misconception and you know it has no bounds it can be low class middle class even if you're like class to me doesn't mean anything mm. the um that's only a social status right so to say people for as far as i'm concerned are all the same mm-hmm. rich poor black white mm. pink yellow <laughs> whatever yeah all people yep. same level same as mm. same as and that's you know that's important to me and that it has, you know, so you're talking drain diggers, doctors, lawyers, school teachers, whatever, can all be addicts. They can all be afflicted by this disease. And they call it a disease. Because a disease is like something, so if you've got cancer, mm-hmm. and that it's not actually your fault that you've got cancer. Right. That's something that you get. Mm-hmm. But if you have an addiction to something or you're an alcoholic, there's blame attached to that. Right. Yeah. It's that you've yeah. you've bought it on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But, absolutely. But yeah. that the, but that's untrue. That's untrue. It's not 
an addict has no control over it because that's what the word addict means. Yeah. It means more, it means can't stop. So most people, when we call them normies, um, <laughs> go through life and you might have a, um, a problem or an issue or a problem dealing with something, but with the addict, it's amplified. So say mm. resentment, you drive past somebody on the road and somebody um, walks out in front of your car mm. and hits it with their hand. Mm. You think, oh, that was lucky I didn't hit him. Mm. The addict drives off down the road, gosh, I should turn around and run him over. Because <laughs> it just, <laughs> their thinking gets expanded, resentments, everything is amplified. Sure. And they can't stop it. So that's why when it comes to using drugs, they just get so carried away. It's about more, more, more. Yeah. It's never about the, the rationale of a normie has a drink, mm. feels the effect, mm -hmm. goes, oh, I'm getting a little bit tiddly, let's mm. stop. Mm. The addict or the alcoholic has a drink, oh, that's just starting to warm me up. Mm. I need more. Yeah. And there's no off button. Yeah. So they'll drink until, you know, they collapse, paralytic, or run out of alcohol. So what are they doing at Forsyth? What are they doing it? Because it's a mental obsession coupled with a physical addiction. Mm. Mental obsession mm. coupled with a physical addiction. They actually have no control over it. Mm. And that's why the answer, unfortunately, is not in self-help. Right. You know, this, the requirements are, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit involved with 12-step programs and mm. the requirement is willingness, openness and rigorous honesty. Yeah. And it's being able to, you know, the first thing for any any looking for help is admitting that you've got a problem. Sure. And yeah. that's the problem. You know, most addicts, most alcoholics are somewhere on the stage. Everybody else has got the problem but me. Yep. The problem is everybody else but me. Yeah, right. And it takes a lot of, you know, and that's quite often why it happens, why they get to the bottom of the heap is that they're in trouble because they're unwilling to think that they have a participation in all the trouble that they're in. Wow. Tell me more about that. I love that thought, the participating in the trouble that they're in. Yep. It's like everything else. It's like the blame game. Uh -huh. It's like I'm having a problem, you know, with my work, mm. with my work colleagues, yeah. the police, you know, they're all, it's a problem instead of, and this is one of the keys to recovery is yeah. owning your part. So when I drive down the road and the policeman pulls me over and gives me a ticket, yeah, my part in it is I was speeding. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I deserve to get a ticket. Yeah. But generally, if somebody's not in recovery, an addict, hmm. the policeman, he's an idiot. He gave me a ticket. He ticketed the wrong person. Right, right. <laughs> Why aren't you out chasing all the real the criminals? Real criminals and yeah, yeah, right. How many okay. people do you hear saying that? Well, it's interesting you say that because I spoke to actually somebody very recently on this on this podcast as well who was talking about uh, a completely separate kind of thing in their own life, but a you know a tragedy had happened to them, um, and one of the moments for them of really making a meaningful change was was to ask, uh, you know, how did I contribute to this, mm. and and not in a uh, it's my I mean, you know, it's not my fault so to speak, but I was a part of this somehow. Um, that is such a crucial part of recovery and dealing dealing with people in life. And that when, when there's conflict, I always mm. say to people, when there's conflict, what's my part in it? Yeah. And if you're ending up, you know, if you've got a resentment or you feel uneasy about something, mm. when you name your part in it, mm. it the rest goes away. Mm. It goes away. And mm. that because you've owned, you, you're no longer hostile to what the other person's saying. You're saying, well, actually, there's a truth and there's a part truth in what you're saying. And once yeah. we take ownership of that, mm. the rest of it goes away. There's no hurt involved because we've taken ownership of what we've done. So how do we then, just to balance that as well, how do we not fall then into the trap? Because some people fall into the trap of, uh, you know, I guess the victim mentality kind of thing where everything is my fault or whatever. So where do you find the balance in that? That's quite a process. The... Um, and I suppose that all comes from self-esteem. You know, we have to get self-esteem and we have to mm. feel good about ourselves. Mm. And that that's a process and that that's about finding out who we are. Mm. And unfortunately, this is the problem with the, with the addict. The addict or the alcoholic has generally started using at a young age. Mm. Their emotion has not developed. Mm. They're unable to deal with people. They're unable to deal with life on life's terms. Mm. Unable to co connect emotionally. Mm. And... 
with with that becomes a big disconnect and, and when they first clean up it's like who are we who oh, am right. I so yeah. they've maybe been functioning yeah. they've maybe been they've certainly been alive for 20 30 <laughs> 40 years mm. but they actually haven't connected with anybody and mm. that's that takes a long time to find out who they are mm. and because remembering that when you talk to them you'll find that a lot of them had a problem before they even picked up. Yeah. And that was that inability to live life on life's terms. Mm. So that's the thing and, and that's the thing about being fearful. Right. So as a young child, you know, having somebody tell you off, having and a lot of them will say was that, you know, I couldn't wait till I could grow up and hurt people because they felt so hurt and intimidated by oh, life. Yeah. Pick up the magic elixir, the drink or the drug. Right. All those problems don't have to face life on life's terms. Yeah. And that's why when an addict when an addict first gets clean, life is so intense. Huh. Because they're suddenly getting all these feelings there, but they've they've given <laughs> up the overload. drugs. That's it. Exactly yeah. it. Exactly yeah. it. And that's why a lot of them can't cope and will turn to tranquilizers and things like that yeah. to try and but once again, blocking out life on life's terms. Yeah. Because as I say, remember these people are sensitive, super sensitive. Yeah. Not just sensitive, that's, super sensitive. Yeah. And they are self-will run riot. Because that that whole point about people being super sensitive and that kind of thing too. Again, I want to speak to any stereotype that comes up for addiction in my mind as you're speaking. Because I think it's important to hear from a real perspective on that. So when you talk about the sensitivity of these people, we have, uh, you know, there's news stories about, you know, like your pee addicts and things like that who go on these violent, aggressive rampages and they're quote-unquote scary people. Uh but really, if I'm hearing you rightly, there's actually a, a heightened sensitivity in, in an addict. Um, so here's the here's an interesting thing: is that the heightened sensitivity is more when they're not using. Right. Yeah. When they're using, it dulls, it slows down. That's why sure. they give children Ritalin. They give them speed for the ones that are hyped up. Now you yeah. think that that would be the worst thing, but it actually slows them down a bit. Mm. So the same with the addict and. My understanding of this is that, you know, a lot of the P users, they lock themselves in a room, draw the curtains, and they don't want to have a lot to do with the outside world. Mm. They just want to use their gear. Mm. They don't, they don't, they don't want to be out on rampages. What happens a lot of the time is when people are coming down off the gear. Oh. That's that's when a lot of the murders mm. or the um, things that go wrong in society because mm. while they're using they're actually relatively stable hmm. even that you know i know yeah. that sounds weird no, no. it's when they come off it or when they alter the medicaid that's when it becomes very unstable sure the um coming down you know the mind you know the things and i don't know if you've heard the the term psychosis yeah, yeah. a lot of them get into psychosis yeah. when they're coming down right. not while they're using hmm when they're coming down and that's the thing where you know they're hearing voices they're hearing mm. um all sorts of things and some of them after using you know if you've been awake for seven days or yeah. or what have you you're yeah. going to be hearing stuff you're going to be seeing stuff sure. you're up at the curtains you're looking you know i've heard of guys pulling their cars apart pulling all the seats out everything apart because they think the police have stuck a, a bug in there <laughs> right yeah yeah they haven't of course but yeah that's and that's the overload so the thinking just starts going over and over and over again one track yeah. minds and it all revolves around themselves huh okay getting gear yeah scoring you know for themselves it's all about yeah. themselves the addict isn't thinking about somebody else they're not thinking about their kids yeah you know they'll be in the bathroom lock the door lock the kids out put the kids in another room you know and that's mm. the that's the sad thing about it is that you know so many lives so many families are affected by this disease and if mm. you can think of it in terms of a disease because yeah. the disease isn't about a fault yeah it's not about you have no choice if you go you have a disease yeah but you do have a choice to do something about it mm. well one one book actually that i've read recently which has profoundly affected my just approach to this um was by a guy called johan hari um, and he, the book itself is called um, Chasing the Scream and it just talks about the drug war yep. and, and how we've approached the drug war and one of the fundamentals that he talked about which I'd love to get your perspective on is that defining moment between do we treat drugs like a criminal issue or like a health issue and addiction like a criminal issue or a health issue and I think in our society we have treated it like a criminal issue that we've said it's well it's certainly you know you could have 
chosen A, chose A or B, you chose B, B is the bad option, you go to jail. Um, whereas when there's a health component to it, you would treat it differently. Yep, and that's true. It's, it's, it's funny, on the debate of should it be legalized and all that sort of stuff, mm. I, have, I have no comment. Okay, I'm, yep. I'm absolutely neutral on, on that. I don't have an opinion on it. Cool. Yep. The, um, as to whether um, the government should put resources into helping addicts, yes. Mm. You know, the jails, as I say, are, are, are full of them, 80%, 80%. So, you know, mm. the, the, the simple thing I might say to somebody, you know, if you don't want to get in trouble again, <laughs> why yeah. not stop drinking? Yeah, right. Why not stop drugging? Mm. But of course the dilemma is, and this is the interesting thing with recovery first, we, we go into the jails and we talk to, right. we talk to the addicts and the alcoholics and all of them at some stage have had a genuine desire mm. to turn their life around i don't think i've ever come across one guy in jail yeah. that doesn't genuinely at some stage have the desire to turn his life around now that's interesting so that's one of the things i say to them so i say to them well how come you had that desire mm. and yet it didn't work mm. yeah and how come you're actually you know you're up for your six lag yeah you know you've done a lot of time in prison yeah how come that's not actually working for you mm. could it be the fact that you're powerless over your addiction mm. could it be the fact that you have an addiction mm. and because a lot of them think oh well i haven't you know i don't use in that while i'm in jail you know few people do actually use in jail mm. the media i think does do a little bit of a beat up on that uh -huh. and say that it's rife sure there are you know people that do have it but that's a select few. Not everybody has access to drugs in jail. Yep. So the rest of them that are not doing drugs in jail don't think they have a problem. Because it's interesting even when you speak about the, I guess, the, the psychological and the health element to it. Because if it was purely, um, people talk about the, the, the pharmacological mode of um, model of addiction, which basically just says that, yeah, there's chemical hooks and stuff and you take a thing and then, you know, your body needs it and then you have to have it. But I mean, a lot of these guys who are doing time, they're in there for so many, you know, months or years that any trace of that chemical hook's long gone, right? So that's and yet a, they come out and then. So that's what tells me that um, drugs come in bottles, hmm. pills come in bottles, alcohol comes in bottles, addiction and alcoholism is in people. So you take away the drug, that's awesome. you've still yeah. got you've still got the addict or the alcoholic. Yeah. They're still, so that's why you can have a dry drunk. You can have a mm. guy that doesn't use for six years mm. and his behavior hasn't changed. Mm. He hasn't found a solution mm. and he still wants to go back to it yeah. because he hasn't, he hasn't found the solution to his problem. The, um, and it's not, it's not his fault. He hasn't done anything. So left untreated, so it's just like a disease. Mm. Left untreated, mm. Regardless, the symptoms might not be the same, the, the actual drinking or whatever, but the problem still exists. The disease still exists in the person. So how do we help this guy yeah, or girl? It's in interesting. As a, you know, as a friend or a family member, I think making people accountable, that's one of the best things to behaviors because the biggest thing a family can do wrong is accept behaviors, bad behaviors. You know, and, and, and that's, I, I see it, I get lots of phone calls from mothers about their sons. Mm. The, um, and the sad thing is, is that it's been a, they've been, because the son's been unwell mm. um, for a period of years. And unfortunately what happens is for every addict or alcoholic, they affect 10 people around them. Wow. 10 people. Okay. And, you know, obviously in that group is, is, is the mum and the dad. Mm. And the mum and the dad start, because they're their son, they accept behavior. Oh, that's our Johnny. That's our, that's like that's he's the way he is, or what have you. Mm. You know, Johnny's in jail. Let's go bail him out. <laughs> Johnny's got fines. Let's pay his fines. Yeah. Let's do all that. Whereas Johnny should be made accountable from a very young age. Yeah. The um that, and I know that doesn't solve it, but what it makes it does. First of all, it makes them look. It makes the addict look. Yeah. Because as soon as they've got people, you know, money is the worst thing to throw at the problem. <laughs> yeah. They, um, yeah. Let's bail them out. Let's put them into rehab. You know, mm. all those choices need to be made by the addict or the alcoholic themselves. Mm. And that's fundamentally what the program's about. You know, they have to do it for themselves. Mm. And that's when the program works, when somebody picks up. Um, and that's the thing about owning your own stuff, doing something because you want to do it, you know, being willing and open, willing and open, you know, but it all comes from that 
back to the thing about admitting that they're an alcoholic or an addict. Mm. And sometimes you have to put them out of the circle to do that. Mm. You know, and that's you know that's really what we call tough love. Mm. And you know, I see mums, um, you know, enabling is the word that we call it. Mm. You know, they will enable their sons because they think if they if they don't pay their fines or if they um, make them go boot them out of home. Mm. You know, that's the first thing I say to mums: boot <laughs> your boy out of home. What's that? 30, <laughs> 30 years of age and he's still living at home. Yeah, boot him out. Wow. What's he doing there? Yeah, you know. You're a neighbor, you're not helping him with his problem. Yeah. You know, he needs to grow up, mm. you know, and, and face life on life's terms. And yeah. But once again, it's down to the individual. The individual then, you know, left to a point of where he doesn't have family bailing him out, mm. probably doesn't have a job to go to by then. Um, or it could be, you know, a lot of them have a lot of support, but unless they have that willingness, that, that thing inside them to want to change, you're wasting your time. Mm. And, you know, that's the big thing as I'd say too. If somebody's not changing, not willing to make an effort, you know, you're best just to leave them alone. So how do you balance that then with recognizing that, as you said, like an addict in and of themselves, they can't, um, excuse me, they can't change the, they can't fix it themselves. Yep. They're powerless over it. How do you identify a genuine willingness to, to change that or something like that? Now that's, that's interesting. Because over the years, uh, twenty-five odd years, you can't tell. You huh. know, that's the that's the honest truth. You'll have people that exhibit a genuine, um, <laughs> a genuine reason it can seem to tick all the boxes, and they'll be yeah. the ones that just want to tick the boxes. Yeah, you know, to save their backside, mm. um, to get out of trouble, and all that sort of stuff. So, it takes. You know, there's definitely ones that we call uh, yanking the chain. Mm -hmm. And the ones that yank the chain, they sort themselves out pretty quick. Okay. Because they can't stick around. They can't be around the winners. Huh. They can't be around the ones that are wanting to do it. It's mm. just too much of a contrast. And then you'll get a group and, you know, the first few years of recovery is such a fragile thing for any, for any mm. of them. You know, it's really, it's it's a scary thing is that, because it takes it takes so long for their lives to turn um, into such a shambles, it's going to take a long time to get things well. Mm. And it is about you know it's a cliche you hear it one day at a time, yeah. and that's and that's what it is. And the best thing you can do is just you know support those people you know help them you know doing things like getting to meetings. Getting to meetings is an important part of them. Mm. But you know, as I say once again, hold them accountable. Um, it sounds like part of the, the the test of that, if I was to come up with one on the fly, um, is is that that whole willingness to embrace community properly or not seems to be a, a very strong part of this. Like when when I have heard of addiction before or how people have spoken to resolve it, it's been talked up as this uh, you know triumphant individual moment of saying, "Hey, I'm going to turn my life around now," and even a person coming along and saying, "Hey, you know, I, I, I want to get things right." It, what I'm hearing from you very strongly is that it's really a commitment to being a part of a community as well where there is an openness and a sharing through that journey. Has, has to be. Yeah. One addict or one alcoholic helping another. Yeah. You know, and Because that's a 12-step, isn't it? It's a 12-step program, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. And that's the way, you know, it was set up, the way it was destined, if you like, was one addict helping another. Yeah. You know, that's where a lot of them will do their service. They'll help another alcoholic. Mm. Um Whereas going and doing penance or whatever mm. is probably not the is not the thing. There's um, it, it's that selfishness again, though, right? Because you said earlier on that whole idea about uh, you know uh, drug users and um, they're, they're looking after their fix, looking after themselves primarily. Uh, you know, breaking out of that and saying no, I'm going to look after somebody else now. Yep. So in the old ways, it was self will run riot. Yeah. Whereas the new way might be give it away to keep it. Okay. And that's a that's an interesting philosophy, but it works. So it's such a contrast for the addict because mm. they've you know they've always been wanting to me me me, mm. and then now suddenly they're told to think about somebody else. Mm. Um, and genuinely, you know, that might be an addict, mm. not so much a, a normie. Um, mm -hmm. But it's about carrying the message. Yeah. So they might go and, you know, sit with somebody and when they share their story, and that's the whole whole part of the 12-step program that is so good. It's never about anybody telling anybody else mm. what to do mm. or how to do it. 
Mm. It's about sharing their own personal recovery, their experience, strength, and hope is what it's called. Yeah. And the other person gleans on that and picks up stuff and is then willing to do it for themselves. It's never about somebody waving a stick and saying, you must do this or must right. do that. Right. They have to pick it up. And this is where the journey, and that's why I say it's a journey, is that over a period of time, and that's why we have the willingness, the openness, and the honesty, yeah. is that the person's willing to look at things. Mm. So, you know, it could be, um, you know, one of the steps is, is you know, making a, a, a searching and fearless in inventory. And... You know, looking at their past lives and that, and the people that they've hurt, and be willing to actually do something about it. Mm. You know, not just a willy-nilly, you know, I'm sorry or whatever that carries no thing. So, what was actually my part in that? Yeah. You know, how can I, how can I resolve this? Important part on that though is, you know, not to hurt others while you're doing that. Right. Okay. Because sometimes, you know, people who are turning their lives around or whatever you want to tell everybody oh, you right. know, yeah, you know, okay. about what they've done wrong and all that sort of stuff that's certainly you know and, and that's why these these programs are anonymous and yeah. you know they're quiet um and even you know today speaking out about it is not to glorify what anybody's done wrong or mm. to glorify these bad people turn good mm. it's it's about education it's about knowing what to do when somebody turns up in your life who has an addiction you know there's mm. there's services around that there's treatment programs there's places that you know um that deal specifically with addicts and alcoholics these are the trained professionals yeah and that's one thing i'll say is that you know an alcoholic or an addict master manipulators yeah not just a normal manipulator. Mm -hmm. We're talking master manipulators. Yep. And you know, it's the wonder they'll have they'll they'll have they'll have the money off you. You know, <laughs> they'll have they'll have some scam, some scheme. You know, the mothers. You know, the things that I've heard that you know sons have been up to and that sort of stuff to scam mm. money out of their mother because of fueled by their addiction. Yeah. You know, it's it's relentless. Mm. So with you were saying that, I'm just mindful even for myself. We talked about the 12-step program, but most people listening probably don't know what the 12 steps are. Could you walk me through them? Quite happy to talk about the 12 steps. <clears throat> so we'll just run through them, shall we? Yep. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay. So, you know, what does that mean to the addict? <clears throat> admitted that they were powerless over their addiction. You know, and that's that thing in that their lives have become unmanageable. Yeah. And that powerless over their addiction, that's that whole thing is when it's out of control. When they've made the decision to stop and then they find that they actually can't. Right. That's when they come to the point where they actually understand that they're powerless. And obviously that their lives have become unmanageable. You know, that's where people around them, you know, their lives, they're hurting people, their families, they're doing stuff that they don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. And as I say... They might be have good morals mm. in that, but when they use, it's out of control. You know, their lives become unmanageable. Or like you say, that that step between um, when they've used and you know coming down afterwards and things like that, and the yep. the behaviour yep. that comes with that as well, yep. right? Yep, yep. Behaviour is certainly an important thing. Yeah. Okay. So I'll move on to step two, which is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I suppose the thing in the first place is that an addict has to understand that they're insane. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, part of that is that the dilemma is that their lives have become unmanageable. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that no human power could mm. restore them to sanity. Mm. You know, because that's the true dilemma of an addict is that I can't help them. Right. You can't help them. Yeah. The doctor can't do it for them. Yeah. There's no pill they can take. Yeah. And they can't do it themselves because we talked about wool. Wool cannot do it. So I want to touch on that very quickly too, that that spiritual element, yep. I was to call it that, to, to recovery. I don't know if a lot of people are as aware of how fun fundamental that is to this process. So can can it put, I mean, is that really necessary, Site? Does, does there have to be a... <sighs> Fundamentally, Yes. Because the bottom line is, is that, as I talked about before, that Johnny can't restore himself. Mm. He mm. can't fix himself. He knows that he's powerless. He might want to change all that he can, mm. but it doesn't happen for him. Yeah. And as I say, no human power could relieve him. You know, he knows that nobody can give him a magic pill. Nobody can take it away from him. 
and there is one that has all power, and that mm. one is God. Yeah. May you find him now. Mm. Now, that might sound like religious hokey pokey. Yeah. And I can imagine to a lot of people it probably does. But the simplicity of the 12 step, I suppose it's one of the purest forms of spirituality that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. What's step number three? Okay. So leading on to step three, we've got, we made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood him. You know, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. You know, the shortened version of those first three steps is, I can't, he can, I'll let him. <laughs> nice. I can't, I he like can, that. I'll let him. Have you found that just on, on those three as well? Like That sounds fundamental. Obviously, we're talking about drug and alcohol addiction here as well. But in terms of, I guess, broader behavioral challenge, people looking to kind of more broadly improve their lives and change their lives as well. Is that something you've applied outside of just this as well? I think the 12 steps would work for anybody. You know, as I say, it's a simplistic way of looking at life. Yeah. You know, it's 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 simple. It's not complicated. Yeah. And it just works through this simple um, way of being able to deal with with life on life's terms. Yeah. We'll keep going. We'll talk, you know, we'll okay. talk a little yeah. bit about, because the dilemma with most alcoholics as well and addicts is their past mm. you know and this program will help them make peace with their past mm. you know so the step step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves mm. now that's interesting we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves not of you mm. not of mum <laughs> not of my wife yeah. not of my boss yeah of me and yeah. that part of that is owning my part in it that's what we talked about before is owning what my part in, yeah. in, in my dilemma, my behaviors, my actions. Mm. Step five is we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. You know, one of the little cliche sayings is um, you're only as sick as your deepest secret. Huh. And, and that's you know, one of the things I believe a lot of people don't actually talk about what's really going on for them. They're yeah. too scared to let, any, let anybody know what they've done, what they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that's the thing is that, you know, to, to acknowledge feelings that you feel that may not be a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to say that because, there's, you know, a lot of wires have been crossed over the time and there might be a lot of things going on for an addict mm. that's not right. And when they first get clean is having this overwhelming emotions mm. and not knowing what to do, how to express them, where they come from, mm. how to react. I spoke to somebody just recently about this and for my own life, um, even though um, in terms of drug and alcohol addiction, it's not something I've experienced for me, but still having had moments where when those negative emotions hit, even sensing for me a sense of, say, guilt or shame about the fact that I felt that way sometimes. Yep. Like I didn't yep. know how to... Um, you know, when you're feeling down or feeling angry or just those darker kind of emotions that, that hit me. Um, I didn't have the, I don't struggle to find the, even the words to describe it now. I didn't know what to do with that. Yep. Um, and so I can imagine on an even deeper level too, when you've got addiction involved. And that's interesting. And that's a good point because the next step in that is we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character huh now <laughs> now now once again this yeah. isn't this isn't about the addict using willpower to clean up his life mm. because it's not about being a self-made person mm. see this is the interesting thing because a lot of those self-help books and that and i'm not saying they're wrong for people you know mm. people who use them and it works for them mm. great but for the addict who's trying to apply a self-help remedy, mm. <laughs> it's it's not the thing. So it says, you know, <clears throat> we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character because this is the thing is where addicts will try and turn their lives around. They will try and rid themselves of their yeah. character defects. Yeah. They will try and be the best person ever. Mm. And unfortunately, it doesn't work. Mm. And it's mm. it's interesting. I know a few Christians like that as well. Yeah, who yeah. Have, who have tried desperately to make their lives better. Mm. And I believe the true Christian walk is about God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Mm. 
So that's not to mean say that we're meant to try. We try. We do the best that we can. Yeah. But then we come to a certain point and we cry out to God and we ask God to help us. Yeah. And God can do those things for us that we can't do ourselves. Yeah. Wow. The um, and then it says seven. We humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. And that's, once again, you know, it's about God. It's handing those things to God and asking Him to... It's not a <clears throat> self-help discipline program. Yeah, it's not, it's not about, a doing. Yeah, it's not about being so disciplined. Yeah. Hey, it's about letting go and letting God. Yeah. It's about, you know... That sounds so counterintuitive to, to, to everything that I've ever heard about how people would want to change their lives. Absolutely. And that's the thing why it fundamentally works for an alcoholic because or an right. addict because it's about letting go and it's about trusting. Yeah. It's about trust, truly trusting God. It's not about trusting in oneself to make oneself a better person, mm. to be better, to strive, to do all these things, to have this. Mm. You know, it's about letting go. Mm. It's about trusting the God of the universe mm. um, with our lives. You know, because one of the you know steps is about as we read through is about handing our lives and our will to the care of God. Yeah, not about um, making a list in the morning of all the things we need to do and working our way through them as much as we can during the day, and at the end of the day, patting ourselves on the back, haven't we done well? See what what's showing up for me strongly while you're speaking this, going through this list as well. Like as I said, I was ignorant of what the twelve steps actually were. I knew what the twelfth step was, which I felt very you know accomplished to myself. I knew what the first one was. Yep. Didn't know the ten <clears throat> in the middle. Um, but when I understood the twelve step program from my position of ignorance, I thought of everything. Oh, okay, well you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and these are the twelve steps. But from already what's kind of blowing my mind. Um, when you're going through these, is they're not really about doings at all. Yeah, it's about being, and it's about it's a program for life. That's it's incredible. it's not about just do the twelve steps and that's it. Yeah, it's about this is a way to live your life forever. Yeah, the um yeah, and so you know we move on to another step, which mm -hmm. is um we had made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Mm. Wow. For some of us, that'll be a big list. <laughs> yeah. Big, 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 yeah. big list. Yeah. You know, and I've heard of guys doing a list and going down to the police station and um, wow. doing things. You know, that that takes a lot of faith. Yeah. The, um, but, you know, it's all, these are all things. And, you know, believe me, I'm not a guru. I'm not a 12-step guru. I don't know, you know, all there is to know about 12-step programs. Mm. But I do fundamentally believe in them. You mm. know, I believe that they there is a freedom Um for addicts and even those that you know are struggling through life and they had a freedom to be able to live life on life's terms yeah Step that, it's that sorry just to jump on that point as well you know when we talked about coming back into community as well like that seems to be again another strong th i guess tr thing that i'm seeing is that these people have lived a very selfish and in individual kind of life uh and it's starting to almost awaken that sense of hey you remember there's other people around you uh let's start to reconcile where that might have broken down yep yep so they will you know families you know i've seen families being restored mm. um you know and not a not a meaningless restoration a restoration that <coughs> has come about not because of what i say mm. but because of what i do mm. how i live my life mm. and one of the big things you know for an addict a lot of them you know saying sorry is just something you know <laughs> man rolls off their tongue you know oh yeah Wife, yeah. kids, mum, dad, they've all had enough. They've, yeah. they've heard sorry a hundred times. Mm. Son, where's the action? Yeah, right. You know, and the action for the addict or the alcoholic is staying clean a day at a time. Yeah. You know, that's a lot, you know, that's a, that takes a lot of the amends mm. um, that they do is just doing that. Mm. Being a, f a fulfilling member of society, of the family, you know, being a present father, mm. being a present mother. Mm. The... Um, and then so we move to nine. We may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Okay. You know, that just use a little bit of wisdom. Okay. Right. You know, it's not about shouting from a street corner on all the affairs that somebody had or, you know, <laughs> yep. that's... It's, I it's, laugh, but actually I can, I can understand how somebody could... Yeah, okay. It's, yep. it's, about, yeah. it's a delicate step. Mm. Ten, we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. You know, because life, a lot of people are about, you know, 
we continue to take personal inventory and when they were wrong, promptly told them. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, a lot sure, of people are bu- sure. busy running around telling everybody else what they're doing wrong. Yeah, the twelve steps is about look at yourself. Yeah, look at your own behaviours. You know, put away the blame thrower. That's it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. that's a good one. You can use it anytime you like. Thanks. The um, eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God yeah. as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will and the power to carry that out. What's that distinction there as we understood him? What's that? What does that mean to you? Um, as a child, you know, I believe in inertly or inherently, yeah. we all have an understanding of who God is. Yep. And that from our childhood or just something that's in us. Mm. And that's something, you know, that's not pushed in us by society. Um, it's just something that we, that we understood who God is, you know. And I think when mm. we talk about that, God's God. Mm-hmm. The um with the big G, uh-huh. and you know I believe you know for me that's what it is as we understood him. Mm. The um that that's it's not about um yeah I'll just leave it as simple as that because it's the it's the individual the individual has an understanding of that and yeah you know I personally believe that as I say inherently we know we know who God is yeah yeah cool so we're up to step eleven we sought yep. through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. With God, as we understood, praying only for the knowledge of His will and the power to carry out. We've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving on to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to addicts and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing with these 12 steps, it's not about doing them once mm-hmm. and that's it, I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. You know, because recovery is about a daily decision. You know, there is no cure and this might sound funny but there is no cure for alcoholism and addiction okay there is only a daily reprieve a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual program tell me that again okay so there's no cure yeah but there's a daily reprieve Mm. a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual program Mm. now well because that's the thing is a lot of people think it's about going and doing a rehab yeah. Turning their lives around, becoming Johnny Lunchbox, going <laughs> off to work, house with a white picket fence. Yeah. Yeah. House with a white picket fence. Yeah. Getting a job, getting on with it. Right. It's not. For the addict that won't work. Yeah. You know, fundamentally they have to have something that at their core they have a purpose. Yeah. You know, and that twelfth step about carrying the message, that's part of that. Mm. You know, carrying it to alcoholics that still suffer. Or so so what's happening then when, I mean, celebrity drug rehab and all that kind of stuff, right? Is, uh, I mean, you haven't made it in Hollywood till you've been to rehab. Yep. Um, what's going on there that a person goes to rehab and then, you know, comes out and then they go back and then they, you know, that cycle, what's, what's that about? Relapse. Yeah. The bottom line is, is that not a lot of addicts or alcoholics find recovery. Wow. A rehab a rehab is a place that opens one's eyes. It's a safe place. You know, that's generally the the thing is that it takes them out of society. It takes them out of harm's way yeah. to get a little bit of clean time up, mm. to maybe look at their behaviours. Some of them are about behaviour modification and things like that. But as we understand that behaviour modification won't sustain an addict. Mm. Mm. You know, that's not, that's not, you know, you can set that right, but that's all about discipline and things sure, like that. Sure. You know, and will will work for behavior modification to a point. Yeah. But as we say, remember when I talked about addiction, there'll become a time and a place where you'll have no mental defense against that first use. So yeah. obviously, we're talking about the defense against the first use mm. is God, mm. it's the spiritual program. Mm. You know, God's, God's the one. That with 12 C programs, God's the one that sorts it. Mm. It's not about the individual, it's not about a mentor, it's not about the sponsor doing it, it's not about anybody being great. You know, the good thing about these 12 C programs is there are no bosses. Right, okay, yep. No bosses. Mm. They, um, you know, and that's, a, that's an interesting thing. The service positions um, that are held, they're changed regularly, mm. two years. Okay. Uh, the other thing, and of course, there's another another whole part of this twelve steps is the twelve traditions. Okay. So you've right. got the twelve steps that tells me how to deal with me. Mm. There's the twelve traditions that tells me how to deal with other people. Okay. Tell me about them. 
time for an, another, <laughs> another, another day? day. All right, another all right, day. all right. Okay, so with the application of those 12 steps, if we can talk a little bit more about the program that you're involved in, um, which is Recovery First, um, what is what does that look like with the guys that you're you're working with in terms of their addiction treatment recovery? What's the the term you use? Because I guess when you're looking at it, saying in some ways you'll always be an addict. Uh, again, as as much as that goes against uh, <laughs> everything that um, I've heard in terms of self development and all that kind of thing, how do, how do you approach that with these guys on a personal basis? What's what what goes on? So that's why the trust that we're involved with is called recovery first. Mm. We understand that with recovery is that that must come first for the addict. Mm. You know, it can't be the lovely wife or the family, the children, Mm. the job, the boat, the car. It's got to be recovery. If they put recovery first, they get all these other things. Mm. These other things are a byproduct of putting their recovery first. Mm. As soon as something else becomes more important than that, they lose they lose the freedom. Mm. The the freedom from addiction. You know, and it sounds it's it's probably it just sounds so bizarre really because it does. It goes against everything everything that we know. And the only person that really understands an addict or an alcoholic is another addict or an <laughs> alcoholic. Sure. And that's, you know, that's just the bottom line, bottom line with it. And mm. so recovery first is about, you know, addicts helping another, helping one another. Yeah. And it's about relationship. Relationship, you know, is one of the biggest keys mm. to staying clean, you know, because a lot of the addicts have tried to remain isolated. Sure. Uh, recovery first is, you know, we do a lot of fun stuff. We'll, We'll go out on camps, we'll do camps, we'll do motocross, we'll do jet skis, we'll do paintball, yeah. we'll do all these things. And, you know, remembering that I, I I tell the guys that this stuff, as much as it's fun, it's actually hollow. Right. It's yeah. hollow. Like, we can go out and we can have enormous amounts of fun yeah. and enjoy the activity. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's about relationship. Yeah. It's about what we're left with. Because you can go out and we can say, man, we had some fun today. Mm. Wasn't that cool? And we can, you know, do the old talk about, you know, blow the event up and make it bigger than <laughs> what it was and, and all of that sort of stuff. But that's hollow compared with sharing with another person. Yeah. You know, your innermost thoughts, mm. you know, asking for help, you know, brother, brotherhood, being honest, being rigorously honest with another human being. You know, talking about, you know, heart language is what I call it. Yeah. You know, saying saying what's what's really going on. Yeah. The um and I suppose, you know, recovery first is just a it's a support mechanism. Yeah. You know, it's a support mechanism for men. Um, we believe in the fellowship is that, you know, men for men and women for women. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we have to be um stick to those guidelines, otherwise there's there's another step that they talk about, the thirteenth step, mm-hmm. um, which I won't go into any <laughs> any detail whatsoever. Uh-huh. But I will leave that to your imagination. <laughs> sure. And um it's not being, you know, sexist separating them or whatever. It's just it helps them yeah. um get well as individual as as men, mm. you know, taking ownership. And not having the distraction of of woman, and I presume you know for women it's the same thing, mm. you know, being able to talk amongst themselves, um, and not feel threatened, not feel sure. they have to behave a certain way. Yeah, um, it sounds like there's a depth of relationship in in this that normies don't even don't experience most days. Well, I can sit down and you know that's that thing is I can try and talk heart language to a normie, and um, normally I get funny looks. Or, um, you know, they're just not on the page because everybody's about, you know, I find a lot of people are about earning money and they all have their own agendas. Yeah. They, um, whereas, you know, my agenda might be finding out what's going on for you. Yeah. You know, how can I help you? Yeah. What, what are you stuck on? Right. You know, what are your struggles? Yeah. You know, um, and then just sharing, you know, a part of my journey and, and what happened for me, not trying to fix anybody else's problem, but just... You know, talking openly and, and honestly. The other thing too is obviously with Recovery First is just, you know, the simple thing about getting guys to meetings. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys come out of jail, no money, um, and, you know, transport, all that sort of stuff is, is a problem. It's hard to get to meetings. So 
we you know help them get to meetings but it's as i say it's about um people helping people mm. Mm. i mean you you made that comment too talking about uh you know the fun that you guys have and how it can be hollow and it needs to have deeper um deeper relationship underneath it um if i'm gonna take a bird's eye view of our culture at the moment i mean if you were to talk about how unhappy so many people are uh i mean i feel like you know even from an addiction point of view i'd never wish addiction on anyone but you get a bit of an insight into what's really important that uh those of us who i don't know more socially acceptable in our vices really um no never understand you know we've got we've never had the opportunity to have so much fun and yet so many people are miserable uh and <laughs> disconnected a, from one that's another that's a very good point actually because i can imagine if i went on a cruise ship yeah and i went with a whole lot of friends normie friends yeah and and i said to them man all this fun we're having is very hollow <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get the gist of it they'd no. be saying we're actually having fun no yeah they um yeah. whereas we will bring it up often that mm. you know the fun that we're having is hollow yeah um so, so how, how does that how does that tend to get brought up like how does that conversation go well, it just goes just like that. Yeah. Boys, we've had some fun today mm. and that, but this isn't recovery. Yeah. This is just something that we've done and yeah. that sort of stuff, but it's not going to sustain you. Yeah. It's not going to, it's a, it's a fleeting, it's a fleeting thing. Sure. It's, it's got no substance to it, even though it, it seems, mm. it seems like fun. Cause the thing is for the addict, obviously is, you know, if we go motocross riding, mm. Mm, I'd love to get up tomorrow and go motocross riding. Oh, and the next day and the next day yeah. and yeah. fill their lives with just doing that one thing that makes them feel good. Yeah. And I suppose that's the, <coughs> excuse me, the thing with an addict or an alcoholic is to be able to sit with the uncomfortable feelings huh. that life isn't about feeling good every day. Mm. There'll be days where you feel low mm. and to be able to accept that, not to want to change that. Because mm. remember when the addicts used, they've tried to set this constant feeling of normality or this flat line by using drugs. You know, even as you say that, look, a thought that I've turned over in my mind I probably need to put words to is that there's a distinction in our culture between someone who is an addict, uh, substance abuser, whatever you want to call it, versus, you know, the normies, the rest of us. But this idea that, you know, there's a group of people out there who are out there trying to numb uncomfortable feelings and then there's the rest of us. We're all doing it, man. We're all doing it. Like I'm hearing that going, you know what? You can We can say, yeah, they're, they're doing it with bad drugs. Said, whereas other people just do it with going to the gym or get, or working 90 hours a week or relationship to relationship. And you're correct. And that's why it's about extreme. Yeah. So the addict has those feelings the same as the normie, mm. but they're taken to an extreme. Look, mate, you, you say that. But again, like I'm thinking from even my perspective, my observations, we have a culture if I can speak for all of humanity, because why not? Um, that expects to be happy all the time. Mm. Like, isn't isn't that at the heart of all advertising material? Um, the movies that we see, the TV programs, it's the pursuit. I mean, what's the, is the, the um, not the constitution, but, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of mm. happiness, that I should be able to be happy all the time. And if I'm not, somebody screwed up. I screwed up. Well, well, that's 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 Makes us very that, vulnerable. That's interesting because I've I've lived with this program, and I suppose I just understand that that there are days when yeah. I'll be down or mm. Johnny will be down, mm. and that's a part of life. And that jacking it up, so to speak, mm. isn't isn't normal. And I suppose yeah. that's what makes the the good days good and the the bad days um, survivable. Sure. Well, even just the fact that you're prepared to sit in it and and not. Because I understand too, it's not about wallowing and, and that kind of thing either, but just admitting that, okay, I'm not feeling great today. All it is is a feeling that I've got with me right now. It's not going to be with me forever. As opposed to, because honestly, man, I feel like we freak out in our culture. I feel bad. Oh, crap. What am I going to do? So we've got a saying that um, it's a bit like a bus stop. Uh -huh. It's all right. There'll be another feeling coming along in, in two minutes. <laughs> And and that's that thing, and then sure. just what you said. It's about sitting with it. Yeah. We call it sitting with it. Sit with the feeling. Mm. Sit with that thing mm. because that's that thing is for so many so long a time while the addict's been using, mm. they haven't felt those feelings. Yeah. And suddenly they've got these. So the, what they want to do is run away. Mm. And that actually, I don't want to feel this feeling. Mm. I need to feel you know something different. Mm. The um, and expressing it too. You know, a lot of the addicts and alcoholics, they'll say you know 
the only feeling they felt was angry or sad. Yeah, right. Only two emotions. Where there's a whole raft of emotions mm. that we feel, mm. um, and you know, only having two um, <laughs> is 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 limiting us a wee bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that the distinction. I guess I kind of want to hammer on it a little bit further. Then that that idea that numbing numbing negative emotion with a certain kind of thing. All all, all really what I'm learning from all this as well. Uh, is that we've got one group who've used a certain chemical or substance to do it um and we've decided that those guys are um you know to be shamed or to be to be shunned uh and then we've got other people who have done it in socially acceptable ways um but what i love about the principles that you shared as well is that it's really you know remembering what's truly important and that idea of connection and honesty and even acknowledging that um there's a greater power than ourselves to to be at peace with who we are um that is a lost art, and I don't care if you're an addict or a, um, you know, Wall Street tycoon. Um, that seems to be something missing on on any level. And I suppose that's about finding a purpose. I think you mm. know, that's something else in in man is why we're we here. Yeah, you know, searching. We're all searching for purpose. Mm. And I, you know, I I I think for a lot of addicts and alcoholics, it actually gives them a purpose mm. you know it, 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 they feel you know a lot of them will say oh, i've come home yeah you know because they they they're with a group of people that believe in the same things have the same problem mm. um but have the same solution mm. and um yeah it works and, and that's the thing is to see some of the people from where they've come from and i suppose that's the biggest thing it's not about becoming a productive member of society mm. it, it's more about being able to live with yourself mm. i think for an addict is is mm. actually you know having that sense of purpose being you know because a lot of a lot of them will just beat themselves up so much fail miserably yeah. you know because you imagine trying to you know a lot of these problems have been around for a long time you imagine being working at the same problem you've been trying to solve a problem for year after year sure and you've been trying and you failed yeah you failed and you failed and you failed and it doesn't matter how much and then so you exert more will <laughs> yeah. yeah and you yeah. fail again so you have a more resolve mm. and you fail again mm. and you might you know you might stay clean for a day a month sure but never forever yeah you know as i say come a time and a place we have no mental defense against that first use yeah. So that's the dilemma. That's the true dilemma of an alcoholic or an addict is that they can't stop. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I see that the complete wisdom in God. A friend once said to me, this is his program for his sick sheep. Hmm. Mm. Holding pen for his sick sheep. Yeah. And um, I just fully see it, you know, because there's a lot of well-meaning people that have tried to help alcoholics and addicts, but yet have failed. Sure. And this program is probably, you know, I, I know for sure it has the biggest success rate yeah. with alcoholics and addicts in the world. Really? There's no other program that really? um, comes <laughs> comes near to it. They, um, yeah. It's interesting. A, a book that I read on a completely unrelated topic, um, it's called The Power Paradox, in case anybody's listening, uh, wondering what I'm talking about. But it talks about how, you know, when we're trying to understand addicts, something that I guess helped me in this journey of, of being more able to listen and understand this was that the, the writer of the book talked about how there's a inverse relationship between empathy and power. And in other words, when I'm feeling powerful, I start to lack empathy for other people. Um, and when I'm in a place of weakness, suddenly I find myself more able to be empathetic. And so when we're talking about drug addicts, right? If I'm feeling powerful, I've never been an addict. I've never experienced it before. I don't know what that's like. I've got no empathy empathy for these people at all. Don't understand them. Why don't they just X, Y, Z? Um, yet this community of, of addicts who have experienced weakness, experienced what it means to be powerless, because of that, they're able to not just, you know, uh, empower, you know not empower is the wrong word, but, you know, kind of um, enable but to recognize that, yep, we need to be there for one another. We need to help one another. We're not better than anybody else. That's classic because that's the actual, because you talk to an addict, is that's the thing is they will feel, they will be 10 foot tall and bulletproof mm. when they're using. They will feel mm. king of the world, that yeah. they are large and in charge. Yeah. The, um, and that's the thing with recovery is that 
when they're weak, they're strong. Yeah, that's exact. That's a, that, that. That's exactly it. It's the mm. complete paradox mm. um, of one thing, and, and I think that's true in a lot of things, you know. And there is, you know, mm. about a a great person who came to serve, mm. um, and that that lines up with that. That mm. he didn't come to lord it over everybody. Yeah, he came to serve, and and that kind of thing to me that's fits in with the twelve step program. Yeah, you know, to me they run hand in hand. Yeah. Um, they're not separate thing that you know they actually started off um from the oxford group mm. um it come from seven steps from the oxford it was a christian group mm-hmm. um the seven steps and then it was um converted to a 12 step program and um yeah it was born from there yeah yeah sai this has been amazing um if somebody is listening right now and either they need help for themselves or um they want to get in touch with you uh, or the Recovery First program, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can just look online, go to www.recoveryfirst.co.nz. Sai, you're a legend, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. I can't tell you how privileged I felt to have that conversation. Simon Cornwall from Recovery First, recoveryfirst.co.nz. Um, that's it for this week. I hope that has just been as enlightening for you as it was for me. Um I, th- I might have shared with you guys the other week. I feel like it was. It all blurs together in my mind. The point is, um, when I got into doing this, I started to realize a trend of discovering those who have an understanding of growth and transformation. Um, and when it really comes to how you really help someone, um, I think somebody who works with drug and alcohol addiction understands that on a level far deeper than those of us who are like, oh, my diet's a bit rubbish, or I wish I exercised more, uh, you know, with that voice. Uh, so... The applications for this, I'm going to be meditating on for a long time, but nevertheless, uh, just so impactful. And I know that Sai gets great results with the people that he works with as well. So please, if you do know anyone who needs that kind of assistance, he's the expert. Send people his way, recoveryfirst.co.nz. If you want to send people my way, (laughs) um, more just for chats about interesting stuff, you can do that. Send them to the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. That's us for another week. Um, really appreciate you listening. We'll talk again soon. Well, I'll talk. You'll listen. You get the idea. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years.